We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. It is almost by definition going to be a bruising election for mayor here in Chicago next spring. Combative incumbent Rahm Emanuel will likely face, among others, African-American self-made millionaire Willie Wilson, energetic former public school CEO Paul Vallis, and the man the mayor fired as Chicago's police superintendent, hard-charging Gary McCarthy. Well, this weekend, this Easter weekend, we will get Mr. McCarthy to share his thoughts and probably some criticisms. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. It's been a while since we've had a chance to sit down with Gary McCarthy, the Bronx, New York-born veteran policeman, was a deputy commissioner in that city's police department. Uh, He rose to that point uh, after being a patrolman and going all the way up the ranks. Uh, In 2006, he was named chief of police in Newark, New Jersey. In 2011, Mayor Emanuel tapped McCarthy to be his first police superintendent. Crime and murders declined while he was at the helm, though there are arguments about how much. And Emmanuel fired McCarthy in 2015 at the height of the controversy over the police killing of Laquan McDonald, who was shot 16 times while armed with a knife and walking away from police. Uh, McCarthy has remained in Chicago, and he's decided to challenge Rahm Emanuel for his job. Gary McCarthy, welcome back. Hey, Craig. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, let's get the obvious question some people will have right out of the way first, and that this is not a personal vendetta, right? No, absolutely not. Uh, I would not take on something of this magnitude or any sort of a a personal uh, grudge or anything along those lines. Uh, If Rahm Emanuel were not the mayor and the city of Chicago were in the same condition that it's in today, um, I would be considering a run. And in this case, uh, there were enough people who came out of the woodwork kind of pushing me over the top to, to do this. So this is about the fact that I love this city. I live here. I'm not leaving. And I can't stand to watch what's happening here, uh, especially with 35 years of public service under my belt. I, I get my juice from doing important things that, that can have an impact. I spent 35 years trying to stop people from getting murdered. Uh, had a, a lot of success doing that. And uh, I think it's time to... Uh, change gears here in Chicago. You are, of course, known as a policeman. In fact, uh, some some police officers consider you a cop's cop. Um, so with high crime, voters will almost certainly recognize that experience and, and expect uh, much of you. But what could or would you do differently from what is happening right now? Well, if you're talking about the crime issue or if you're talking about City Hall in general, uh, they're probably the same answer. <laughs> Um, between the the high taxes, we've had eight consecutive increases in taxes, our economy in the city, the education and the issues with our school system and the crime. Those are three interlocking, inseparable issues. One affects the other affects the other. And I I think we've made a a mistake of trying to address them individually. But uh, the mayor's record is dismal in this regard. Um, and, and those are the issues that I think voters are most concerned about. What I would do differently is 
not rely on politics to try and solve practical problems. There's no political solutions for practical problems. Politics is not going to change gun violence on the South and the West Side. Politics is not going to change uh, what's happening on, in our education system or our tax issues. And How do you think politics is being employed here? We cut deals all day long to make people, you know, come around to, to whatever it is you're looking. You're horse trading. You give me this and I'm giving you that. Um, business management for city government is what we need. It's worked in other places. It will work here. And uh, the bottom line is what's happening now is not working. Well, let's talk about uh, the the crime and the numbers. Um, right now, the city is ostensibly using technology uh, to see where crimes are happening and where and to whom it might happen. The numbers are coming down to uh, to some extent. Uh, <laughs> what are the mistakes that you feel are being made? Because some of this sounds a lot like what you were doing. Uh, it's, it sounds like CompStat with updated technology. So let's let's be clear about something. The murder rate went up by 80%, and now it's coming down from there. So when you compare statistics year over year, um, this administration wants to make believe that 2016 did not happen. I assure you it happened, and I assure you that there were more than 1,400 people shot and killed. I'm sorry, 1,400 people killed in the two years after my termination. So let's just get that out of the way. It's coming down to a level that's still way unacceptable. We're not even at the national level for murder rate. But what would be different is, is an overall interlocking strategy. Craig, I could go into my office and pull off the shelf the strategy that we were using, give it to you, and you can take a look and compare it to what's happening today. There's some things that we're doing right. There's a lot of things that we're not doing right. The first thing I would do is let the police superintendent run the police department, which is not happening now. It's absolutely not happening now. It's, that department's being run out of City Hall. Policies are being set in City Hall. Disciplinary matters are being uh, adjudicated in City Hall and the marching orders for the police department come straight out of the mayor's office. That's unacceptable. But now, whether the numbers, I mean, the numbers are declining, but as you say, they're declining still to a higher level. But there are people in a number of neighborhoods who just don't feel safe. And then, of course, you, as you know, there are people who feel threatened by the police themselves. How do you walk the balance between those two dimensions, those two dynamics that are going on in the neighborhood. You know, I, I like the fact that you use the word balance because there's been no balance in this conversation. And, and let's be clear. In 2016, there were 4,300 people shot in the city of Chicago. Less than half of 1% of those shootings were police-related shootings. And it doesn't mean that they were all unjustified. So... The, the, the specter of police violence has become overwhelming uh, in this country based upon I'm not even sure what. There's been bad situations. There's no two ways about it. But we have to sit down and have a, a blunt conversation about race in this country is what we have to do. And everybody's afraid to do that. And I believe that we're, we're treating the wrong symptoms. What ails us? The police are not the problem in our society. Criminals are. And at the end of the day, um, if, if the police are on their heels, the criminals are emboldened. And that's the environment that we've created in this city and other cities across the country. You see it happening in places like Baltimore. So 
those difficult conversations need to be had. And we need to recognize how we got to this place. And to do that, we have to look at the history of African Americans in this country. Going from, from slavery to black codes to Jim Crow to segregation. And people want to talk about reestablishing trust. You can't reestablish something that we never had in the first place. And those racist laws that were on the books were being enforced by the white police officer. We're not going to overcome 300 years of distrust by putting on body cameras. We're going to overcome it by having conversations and understanding and exposure to each other. One of the things that I keep hearing in policing, which is very frustrating, is the fact that, especially here, um, first of all, everybody agrees that Chicago has been a segregated city. It was created that way. Redlining, the history of, of African Americans in this city, absolutely bears out segregation. The problem is, then we insist on it. We insist, we insist on having black commanders and black neighborhoods and black officers and black neighborhoods. And that's not going to overcome this. What we need is exposure and conversation to get past this. That has to be done if we're going to move forward. We have to acknowledge how we got here if we're going to figure out where we're going to go. Do you... Uh, it's a difficult conversation, it right? It is a difficult conversation. <laughs> and up to this point, the police union, the Fraternal Order of Police, has not been a facilitator of that uh, of that conversation, and if anything, has been part of the polarization between the African-American community and the police. Well, you know, I'm glad you said polarization, too, because that's the word that, that comes to my mind. We need somebody who's going to bring people together. And unfortunately, right now, we have one of the most polarizing figures in American politics as the mayor of this city. And there's no doubt that that is contributing to what's happening here. There's no doubt. As a matter of fact, it's probably not contributing. It's probably a causal factor because he's not willing to take on tough issues like that. What he does is he, he kind of cuts deals to try and make people come around. And that's what we see happening. That process is not working. As far as the FOP is concerned, nobody realizes why they exist, just like CTU. Why does the C, uh, Chicago Teachers Union exist? To defend the rights of teachers and try and take care of what they need taken care of. So they're coming at this from a whole different perspective as far as what's for the best for their constituents. That can be overcome, but you have to bring the, all, of the, all the interested parties to the table. And here's something that I want to get out. In my administration, everybody who has an interest in improving Chicago will have a seat at the table. They're going to have to leave their agendas at the door. And then we can have those conversations. And you know what? Chicago's ready for that. People say that Chicago's ready for a Brexit, ready for a break from the past. The methods that we've been using have been failing. Well, there is a process underway right now uh, that involves a consent decree and a federal court. Um, that's going to continue uh, unless there's some reason why everyone agrees it stops. What do you believe has to be in that consent decree uh, assuming that you would go forward with it, and, and what cannot be in it? You know, that's a tough question, and, I, and I'm not avoiding it, but I have to see what they're actually talking about. One of my biggest concerns, and this is factual, is that in my position as a police superintendent, I was accountable, but I didn't have authority to do the things that I needed to do. 
And there's a movement right now to keep limiting the authority of the police superintendent. And in communities around this country, everybody wants civilian oversight of police departments. Well, we've got it. It's called the police board. I wasn't in charge of discipline in the Chicago Police Department. I could only make a recommendation to the civilian police board, which is appointed by the mayor, in cases of 30-day suspension right up to separation. During my four and a half years as superintendent, that police board overturned 75% of my separation recommendations. In other words, if the goal is to be tough on cops because you've got civilians o- civilian oversight, it's failing here in Chicago because they wouldn't let me fire the people I wanted to fire. But I would also ask, perhaps rhetorically, was that what the police board was supposed to do? In other words, was it supposed to be tough on police? It was appointed by the mayors, the mayor. So is that, isn't that more possibly part of the mayor's agenda as opposed to a civilian agenda? I mean, do you need a, something that's structured differently where there actually are civilians who are responsible to the community as opposed to being responsible to the mayor's office? Uh, you, you really confused me with your, your question. If you're saying, was that, was that police board carrying out what the mayor wanted? The answer is no. Because when I brought it to his attention, he had no knowledge of it. Hmm. So that's not the case. The idea is that they didn't understand things in police culture that police officers understand. One of the things that, that uh, for instance, is a very serious offense is losing one's firearm. It's a big deal. Well, I increased the penalties for it. It was like a one-day suspension when I got here. And that's something that people gave me a big backlash on. I was like, wait a second, guys. This isn't like losing your car keys. This is important. So that's an example. But let me, let me continue for a second. The second thing, besides the police board, is the fact that we want outside investigations into police uses of force. Well, we have that in Chicago. Now it's called COPRA, back before it was called IPRA. I was not in charge of the investigation of the Laquan McDonald case. So by Illinois state law, I could take one action, and that was to put Jason Van Dyke on paid desk duty. Yet who was held accountable for what happened? It was me, wasn't it? Rightfully or wrongfully, Oh, no, wait a minute. I was terminated because I was a distraction. That was the answer that everybody got. And at the end of the day, they also want federal investigations into police uses of force. In the Laquan McDonald case, we got it. The U.S. attorney impaneled the grand jury, and we still don't know the results of that, do we, Craig? So the structure that everybody seems to want failed. It's time to change that. But... What does that structure change to that would be acceptable to you, but also something that could get the trust of people in the communities that are being served? The the trust is not going to come from the disciplinary system. The trust is going to come from the exposure and the conversation and sticking to one's word. You know what? The lying's got to stop, too. And the bottom line is, I'm not a liar, nor will I ever be. I'm very blunt, perhaps to a fault. And I don't think that people could say that about this mayor. So that trust is not, you can't, you know, we got to talk about process, right? You want to talk about process? Mm-hmm. Eddie Johnson, who I love to death, was appointed by an illegitimate process. 
there's a municipal law on how the police superintendent is selected. That the police board does a national search, comes up with three candidates, and gives those three candidates to the mayor. And if he likes or doesn't like, he picks one or he throws out the findings and they do it over again. In this case, what they did was they got the city council to change the law for one day and he appointed whoever he wanted and he appointed somebody who didn't apply for the job. Now, if you're going to build trust with the community, there's checks and balances in place for a reason. And if you don't want to use the checks and balances, you just change the law, that's illegitimate. Yet we want legitimate policing. You can't have legitimate policing under illegitimate governance. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. My guest is former police superintendent Gary McCarthy, who is one of the candidates challenging Mayor Emanuel's election bid. Uh, I do want to ask one more question about crime before we move on to some other topics, and that is, how do you feel about Superintendent Eddie Johnson going against COPA, uh, COPA's ruling, that, and that's the uh, uh, Citizen Office of Police Accountability uh, that Officer Robert Rialmo was justified in shooting Quintonio Legrier, who, uh, as uh, the testimony would have shown, uh, uh, was have did have a knife, um, and that he also uh, did the bat. No. A bat, excuse me. Yes, uh, and also a bystander, Betty Jones. So I don't I don't know the intricacies of that case. But from the 10,000-foot level, uh, this kind of goes to what I was talking about. If, if Eddie Johnson is accountable for the behavior of the officers in the Chicago Police Department, he needs to have the authority to make the decisions as to when to discipline them. And that really goes right to the heart of what I'm talking about. And if we keep moving in the direction that we're going, if you keep limiting the powers of the individuals who are in charge of the department, it's problematic. Now, Eddie Johnson has been a police officer for 30, 30 years, I believe, maybe mm-hmm. more. He's encountered people with bats. He knows about the fear that's involved when you're in a, a situation like that. And he's looking at the law and making decisions based upon <laughs> what the law says and what the policy says. I'm not sure what, where COPA's findings came from. And I'm positive I know where Eddie Johnson's came from, which is the policy. So, uh, you know, this is just part of the movement that's really problematic for policing today. Limiting the scope of authority of the leadership in policing is problematic. Let's talk about uh, the budget because we can't talk about police all day and there's a lot more going on in this I- I'd campaign. I'd rather talk about some other things, too, yeah. because <laughs> I'm being accused of not knowing about these things. <laughs> uh, well, uh, here's, here's your chance. Uh, we've got crippling pension debt, declining state help. All right. How do we stabilize the uh, city's finances and its credit rating? Well, so this goes back to, uh, unfortunately, it goes back to crime. The reason why we're, we're in such, such, a, such a problematic place is because, A, we don't stick to our budgets. We create budgets and then we blow through them. Go listen to a budget hearing in the city council. They talk about everything except the budget. What's the point of that? What are we doing? Right? And then nobody sticks to their budget anyway. The other thing is we've got to stop borrowing to pay our debt. That's like taking your, your MasterCard to pay your visa. <laughs> what you're doing is you're increasing your debt all at the same time. That's just fiscally irresponsible. We've got to stop borrowing to pay settlements. We have to have accountability for budgets. 
We have to have a financial plan. And the, the biggest thing we have to do is stop the exodus from the city. Every shooting, there's a, there's a study that says that every shooting in the city results in 70 people leaving the city. We're the only major urban center in the country that's lost population in the last 10 years. We lost something like 13,000 people last year, I believe. I just saw something in the, in the, in the newspaper. So it's got to be true, right? <laughs> and and <laughs> that's our tax base. So the people who live here are left behind to pay more taxes. So nothing's really going to change in Chicago until we make it safe. But... Making it safe will prevent the exodus from the city, which will keep the tax burden here. There's other ways that we could, that we could make money. We can, we, can, uh, we can do different things to make money, and, and you know, they just came up with, a, with the, the, the O'Hare expansion, which is supposed to be funded from outside of, of taxpayer dollars. That's great. So the issue with a casino in the city, my understanding, was all the problems that it causes in the community. How about we put a, a casino in O'Hare Airport where now it's for travelers coming through and it's not going to affect the community and anybody who goes there has to go through TSA. That's going to eliminate the issue of the downside of not being able to control what happens, you know, whether it's organized crime or prostitution or narcotics, whatever it is. And at the same time, that's going to generate revenue. We have to start thinking differently and, and, um, Bottom line with, with where we are financially, uh, we also need one pension fund. Four pension funds by themselves are, are unstable. There's strength in numbers, right? If those pensions were combined, that would also help us. Uh, with casino gambling, how much revenue do you think that could raise, and especially in light of the other casinos that are in the area? And frankly, there's, there's one not real far from O'Hare. Yeah, but everybody who's going to the one at O'Hare is traveling. How many people come through O'Hare and have layovers and have to sit around for hours and hours and hours? If they're sitting at a blackjack table, there's going to be revenue generated. I don't know how much it would. We'd have to do a study to figure that out. But this is just something that needs to be considered because my understanding is that casinos make a heck of a lot of money for the state. And, and we can definitely do something that's going to prevent us from having the issues of crime and those other things. I don't know why anybody else hasn't talked about this. It's just something off the top of our head that we need to consider. Another quick question. Uh, what's your feeling on legalizing marijuana or recreational marijuana? You know, we again, uh, I don't want a knee-jerk reaction on this, and I think that we have to do some information gathering. My knowledge of recreational and medicinal marijuana in other places, like, for instance, Colorado, has caused skyrocketing crime in a lot of different ways. Robberies went through the roof, which, by the way, we need to just, if we're going to talk crime, we got to talk about the front page of the Tribune today, about mm -hmm. the robberies downtown and in we the are, South. We are, in fact, going to talk about that. Good. But, the, but the, the bottom line is cartels are actually laundering their cannabis in the same way that criminals laundered their money through legalized and rec recreational use of of marijuana. So all of that needs to be examined. Uh, I am not uh, dead set against it, but we have to make those considerations. And since you brought it up, let's talk about that. Robberies uh, have spiked in the loop uh, in other downtown areas. Uh, this is a, a report that was in uh, Friday's uh, Chicago Tribune. First off, what, what is going on and 
how do you address that? So let's let me let me tell you what that actually means because nobody seems to understand it. When I was police superintendent, I was being judged by one number, and that was the murder rate. Police-related shootings were down 68% during my tenure. Complaints against officers were down by 50%. Um, we made 20,000 less arrests, yet made 23% more gun arrests, and overall crime was down by 40%. You ask any criminologist, what is the bellwether crime that tells you what's going on in a city? They will tell you robberies. I tried to tell people this, but nobody listened. And at the end of the day, looking at where those robberies are occurring could not be more startling. There's no place in this city that's safe now. And we used to say, and I say this rhetorically because I never said it, we used to say, not in my backyard. Well, we can never say that anymore because there's no place in this city that's safe, and it's happening in our front yards. It's happening in the loop. Uh, the, the worst example, God rest his soul, is the murder of Paul Bauer. When you have a four-time convicted felon wearing body armor with an extended magazine in his weapon, killing a police commander in the shadow of City Hall. Can it be any worse as far as an example of a city that's not safe? The robberies are not followed up on the way that the murders are followed up on, certainly by, by the public in general. That is the worst indicator of the direction that crime is going in the city. It's not the murder rate. It's not the shootings. It's the robberies. Ask any criminologist. But now the argument you're going to get, and I don't want to take too much time on this, but I've heard this, that, okay, yeah, now that the area frequented by white people is threatened, we're going to get action, but in the neighborhoods, in the black and brown neighborhoods, uh, where people are being robbed and shot and, and accosted every day, it's normal there, so no one's worrying about it. But this is a crisis when it's downtown. Craig, you couldn't be more correct. And that is certainly not my opinion, but that's the opinion of the policymakers and the 1% and the mayor's friends. So let's be clear about that. When I got here, if there was a crime on Michigan Avenue, it, it, there might as well have been you know, a, a mass school shooting, the way that the reaction came from City Hall. And the bottom line is, now there's commercial robberies on Michigan Avenue, and we barely hear about it. There's shots fired that, where they hit uh, uh, Northwestern Hospital in the Gold Coast. This is not okay. And it's not okay that it happens out in the, in, the, in the south and the west side, which, by the way, is where I spent all my time. I very rarely went on patrol anywhere but the south and the west side because that's where the crime was occurring. So you're absolutely correct. And that is part of the philosophy that's got to change in city government here. Um. I had a whole bunch of political questions that I wanted to ask you, but I'm not going to because I want to ask one other well, question. Let me, let me just say one other thing about yeah. this, Craig. I want you to think about the fact that the people who are getting the tax breaks are now the people who are becoming the crime victims. And that's when you're going to see action out of this mayor. Hmm. Who are your advisors on finance and mass transit and development? Uh, I mean, wh who's your kitchen cabinet? Because obviously your, your experience is in policing. Where are you getting your advice on some of the other things? Well, we have some policy researchers and, and they go out and they're, and they're grabbing information for me. Um, our policies on a website I wrote. So I, I am doing my studying. 
I'm reaching out to people who know what they're talking about. Um, we don't really have uh, what we would call a kitchen cabinet. Uh, we have researchers who are looking at best practices. For instance, I've spoken to a number of people who worked at CTU for a very long time, at, at CPS, I should say, um, for a very long time, not the union, the pub, in the public schools, for a very long time, and worked on the concepts that I put in, my, in our policies about making the schools community centers and hubs for the community where we put social services right into the schools to ensure that the kids are ready to learn when they get to school. I didn't come up with that myself, but it's a holistic approach that I've used in the past towards crime, and it played right into what I wanted to do. That's going to have to be the last word because we have a lot more to talk about, so we'll just have to have you back uh, <laughs> way before. Well, there's a lot of We have a lot time. to talk about. We have a lot, of, lot to talk about and a lot of time between now and when the actual election takes place. That is mayoral candidate and former Chicago top cop Gary McCarthy. Uh, to our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That is WBBMnewsradio.com. You can also find our podcast on radio.com. I'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s. On us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com.